with gratitude, prayer, and blessings. Live from Jerusalem, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem. My guest today is Aviva Belfer. Aviva is a multi-talented practitioner of the healing arts, including Reiki, Access Consciousness, The Bars, and Journey Work. Aviva, hi. Hi. So, let's start with a really basic question. For someone who has never heard of it, what is the journey? The journey. The journey is a process that helps you dive into your cellular memories release these memories um, which may be holding you back in some way, some aspect of your life, you're able to then deal with this cellular memory and free yourself from the behaviours that had been attached to this memory. For example, if that makes no sense at all, um, you know how sometimes people will say to you, you're acting like a three-year-old, right? Yeah. Well, very often you are acting like a three-year-old because something happened when you were three. Now, it might have been a major trauma. Or it might have just been that your mum didn't give you the snack that you wanted and you took that personally. And so it caused you to hold your breath or to take a deep breath like, <gasps> like that. And when that happens, it gets stuck somewhere in your body. So any time then that somebody doesn't give you something that you want, your body just remembers that you weren't given something, you got offended, upset, whatever, and so your body will then start to behave like you did at that moment when it got stuck in your body. Okay, so you are actually acting like a three-year-old. So let me see if I understand this. Something comes up that infuriates me and, mm -hmm. I, and I throw a little tantrum about it. Mm -hmm. The reason on this on this model, a, a possible cause for why I'm acting like a three-year-old at that time is that when I was three, a situation happened that, uh, that sort of caused me to stress in some way mm -hmm. and that my uh, some part of me still remembers that uh, deep down and, when, and I'm now in a situation that uh, triggers it. It triggers way. it in mm -hmm. some way because that because it's familiar because of of some similarity, like in in a stimulus. I imagine like some anything can cause it. And then uh, I'm just seeing your confused look of like it could be anything. It can be anything, and it, it's never what you expect it to be. It's never what you expect it to be. No. Okay. Um, I can give an example from my life. What I discovered is that when I was about two years old, we moved from Canberra to Melbourne, okay? Seemingly innocent little event in somebody's life at two. Um, but I was put into a bed rather than my cot. Um, I started kindergarten. They took away my bottle and my dummy. And, and I don't know if all of these things happened within the same day, same week, same month. It might have happened over, over a six-month period. 
Right. I don't know. But in my two-year-old mind or my two-year-old body, it was totally overwhelming. It felt like the rug had been pulled out from under my feet. So any time I would get overwhelmed in my life, my body would go into some sort of shock, right? Sort of like freeze. What do I do now? Now, of course, I had no one to talk to back then. Either I didn't have the language for it or it was my, I was very angry, all right? Now, apparently I was an angry person from the age of two because I, the people who I was meant to be able to, to depend on are the people who did this to me. Right. All right? So that meant that I started to have mistrust, which meant then also as a counter effect of that, I became terribly independent, which meant nobody could do anything for me, which also meant that I could never ask for help because to ask for help was a sign of weakness and I was anything but weak because I had to fend for myself. That's the implications of it, okay? Okay, so I'm, I'm hearing a story here that's being told with a lot more lucidity, let's say, than most people usually talk about their experiences when they're two and three years old. Right. Uh, this lucidity, this clarity is something that's come for you out of this journey it's work. It's come so. out of the journey work, yeah. Okay. How does the journey get you to be able to this point where you can talk about it as freely as you can? Um, well, first of all, the energy is no longer there. Like the punch or the angst that I would have any time I was put into a situation where I felt overwhelmed, mm -hmm. that angst is no longer there. So the defences don't come up anymore. All right? I'm not in a place that I have to protect myself. I'm now in a place that the barriers can be down and I can go with the flow. Okay. All right, so my defences, I don't need to be, I don't need to protect myself through anger. I don't need to protect myself through mistrust. All right, all of these things that would come up immediately are no longer there. So I, I, I kind of want to ask you in a direct way, like how it is that the journey... Uh, got me to that point. Got you to this point. Um... All right, I was actually a trainer at an event mm -hmm. and I had been told to do something, which I went to do, and then I went and asked a question. And I actually asked a question of Brandon Bays, who developed this whole um, process called The Journey from her own experiences. And all of a sudden, these people started yelling at me, saying, you don't talk to Brandon, and you don't talk to her about that. And I'm like, I just asked a question, you know, like, I didn't understand. So I went into total overwhelm, sort of like, but what did I do? What so, does that mean, going into overwhelm? Well, for me, it felt like here I am trying to do the right thing. You know, I'm trying to get information, yeah. I'm asking questions, and I'm being told off for what I'm doing um, but nobody had explained like there hadn't been there was a sense of there hadn't been enough training or had they you know it's like blaming them saying well had you given me the training I would know not to go and ask Brandon directly a question so the, the sense of overwhelm is a sense of like defensiveness that defensiveness you completely yeah so then I, I then shut down 
So it's like, what am I doing here? Why am I even bothering if this is how they're treating me? Right. Okay. So um, I then had a process done by one of the other trainers. Mm-hmm. And in this process, we she asked me a couple of questions like, you know, when did you feel, have you felt overwhelmed in the past or have you experienced this in the past? And um, in answering her, I came up with several memories which I wasn't even aware of, but memories that the body had, like they were stuck somewhere in the body. And one of them was this one of when I was two years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then she gave me some tools and we did a process together around this story, this memory, and we were able to clear it. Now, does that mean it was gone completely? No. I've come back to that memory probably, I would say, ten times, but always from a different angle, always from a different perspective. And you feel like after each of these ten times there's been an improvement in you? Oh, for sure. For sure, no question. And what does that translate into in, in your life? Like, how does that manifest? I'm no longer angry. People That's who meet nothing. me, yeah, people who meet me, they, people, well, I don't know how your impression, but people who meet me, they think I'm very open, very happy, very centered, very focused, very generous, very giving, very, I don't know, whatever. And I wasn't like that. I was, on one level, I was um, sure I was, you know, happy and outgoing, but it was always with, you know, what is this going to cost me? There was always a, an underlying current there of what what are they actually asking or, or when is the other shoe going to fall? Right. Like there's, right. A, there's, there's always a suspicion mistrust, the Suspicion, yeah. Right. Always suspicion. And that's something you've been able to let go suspicion's of? Suspicion's gone. Wow. Yeah. Many blessings to you. Thank you. Could you tell us what the general topography is of a journey process? Yeah. Um, To start a journey process, I would ask the person, what would I ask them? First of all, just to check their body to see if there's any tension or stress that they're feeling in their body at this moment. Mm -hmm. If they were able to um, find a place then I would ask them, you know, what, if that could be an emotion, if you could give it an emo- and a name, what would that be? And where is it in the body? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would find, like, we would do that process three times, and then I would ask them to choose the one that has the most charge to it. So they tell me, like, if I was to ask you right now, do you have any stress in your body? Check yeah. your body and see if you have any 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 place where there's a bit of stress or tension. Yeah. In your neck, you're pointing in, to your neck. Just just like the sort of area between my neck and my shoulders. Okay, great. Now, if that place had an emotion there, what might that be? So sort of tension. Tension. So maybe a, okay. a gripping. Great. Um, and that's something that you recognise. It's something that you know. Yeah, it's familiar. It's familiar to you. Okay, excellent. Um, so I would take that then. Like we would do that three times. And then I'd say to you, well, which one of these emotions that you've pointed out, which one of these areas of tension is the strongest for you? 
and that would then be our diving in point to a journey process. Okay. Okay. So let's say, for example, you were saying that you were feeling fear, that you had a sense of fear and you felt it in your chest. Sure. So I would then ask you to invite fear in any mode that you may have experienced it in your life. And I'd invite you to feel that fear. Then as you were doing that, we would then, I'd ask you to look in the very centre of fear and see if there's another emotion there. And if there was another emotion that came up, this is, this is a, an emotional process. There are two types of journey processes. One is an emotional process and one is a physical process. Okay? So, the so emotional, this is the emotional This one? is the emotional process. So then you would go down the different emotional levels. Now, at one point, you will come up with a memory. We call that a cellular memory, which might be attached to a particular emotion. All right, so it's the emotion that you're feeling will suddenly, and it is, it's like like that. All of a sudden you'll have a memory or you'll see a picture or um, an image of something and that will be attached in some way to you to that emotion. All right? So once we've gone down through all of the emotions until you come to a place where generally you just sort of feel it at peace, it's like you have this massive opening and you're feeling peace or um, tranquility or quiet, right? So you're going through this turmoil, like huge turmoil of all of these emotions and suddenly you just open up into a peaceful place. That's what we call the source. And that is you once you have unwrapped all of the layers that are around the diamond, all right? So you are the diamond. And once you've unwrapped all of these layers of these emotions, your diamond is allowed to shine. So that's what we're aiming for, to get you to this place of you at your cleanest. So let me see if I'm getting this yep. down path here. You have the, this, this metaphor of a person as a diamond. What I'm hearing from that is that people are naturally calm and peaceful and joyful and then to have layered on top of that natural yes. that natural ecstasy I think is what Ginsberg called it to have um, different uh, traumatic memories and bad associations with things and as you're going through this process you're, you're digging through these things and they're being listed off and, and just the process of, of naming them allows someone to move through it's them or is there them, more to it's it? naming them, it's feeling them Mm -hmm. Right, it's acknowledging their existence. Very often, people will not even acknowledge that they're feeling fear, for example, or they will not acknowledge. For me, the hardest place to get to was vulnerability. When I'm vulnerable, I'm completely exposed. So, to peel back the layers to get to that place of vulnerability is excruciating for me, or it was, okay? Um, and so that is the process that we're going through, is to be able to peel back these layers and see what else is there, what other emotion might be there, like what else am I hiding? And I'm hiding it from myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not hiding it from anybody else. But what else is here that I am not prepared to look at, okay? So that's the, that's the 
the job or the experience of the journey practitioner is to help you get through these layers. Now, sometimes it can be absolutely excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have a lot of drama connected to their story. So there's a lot of questions about, well, who are you without your drama? Or who are you without your story? So and people's identity gets cut, tied in with their particular narratives? Completely tied in, completely connected to their narrative. So the, so you're in a sense you're asking someone not just like a difficult emotional question, but something more fundamental, like who are you if you're not these stories that you tell as yes. yourself? Yes, yes. And, and that takes what's work. your answer to that question? I'm sorry? What's your answer to that question? Who, Who are you I? beneath the stories that, that you tell yourself and others? <laughs> I'm a soul. That's who I am. Do you see that when you look at other people? Do you see that yes. their souls underneath their levels? Of, yes. And what that, that, that's a shift for you from how you used to see the world? Um, that's a great question. My brother, bless him, he told me recently that he's always known that I was a bit of a witch. (laughs) And I said to him, well, how come you never told me that? And he said, well, you just had to figure it out for yourself. So he, but he knew that from, he's my older brother, so he knew that from when I was tiny. And he, he, what he meant by that is that I always marched to the beat of my own drum. And he always saw that I had a power. There was something to me which actually scared the crap out of other people. It was as if I could see right through them. So you can be telling me whatever you're telling me, um, but I actually know the truth. And that would scare people, right? Especially when it's coming from a tiny little child. So I always thought that other people closed me down. And it was fairly recently I had the awareness that I closed myself down so that I could have a reasonably normal, in inverted commas, life. So you were more aware of situations, let's say... I was totally you, aware of situations. ...than you pretended to be, than you acted? Um, I was aware of situations, but I didn't have the tools, perhaps, to be able to tell people what was going on. Or I could tell them, but they didn't want to hear that. And therefore, that in order so to that feel safe, would scare you... people. So rather than being this strange creature, mm. I would I shut down that aspect, that 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 gift, really, that I was given. I shut that down so that I could communicate with people on their level. Is this something that's that's common when in your own experience for people who do this sort of work to discover that actually there are a lot of, uh, let's say resources, internal assets, whatever, that that I didn't really consciously know that I have, but if I look back on my childhood, it's kind of obvious if you connect the dots. Sure. That, do you encounter that sort of story a lot in the work you do? Um, more and more, people are less afraid of um, owning who they are, Okay. Um, we've grown up in a place where 
judgment was very, very... It's like you were judged for everything. You were judged by how you looked. You were judged by how you behaved. You were judged by what school you went to. Mm -hmm. You were judged by what food you ate. You were judged by what friends you had, what, what youth group you went to. There was a lot of judgment in our world. There was also, growing up in Melbourne, there was um, a lot of Holocaust survivors. So it was also, well, we didn't have this, so you have to be grateful. But it was also very conditional. All right, so there was a lot of judgment, a lot of condition. You know, you do this, but. All of, do you know what I'm saying? This, it reminds me of something that uh, recently I was, a family member was telling me that uh, he was talking to a cousin and, and that what they'd gone through, um, like, and, and they were talking about their own issues and their family's issues and stuff, and he, and, uh, the line that came out was, we're still paying for what that one did, you know? Yes. Because, like, you're, it's not, people, people in this, let's say, more, who are more open in the spiritual scene or in a broad way, they'll say things like, oh, well, you know, that karma is being recycled. Or yeah, I say that's, yeah, okay, rubbish, go on. Right, so it's it's like that, but that phrasing is so is, is so abstract in a sense. But to me, it, like it, it's pointing to this very visible phenomenon, which is people went through trauma as kids, and then when they were adults and well, parenting their own kids. There's also the trauma that gets passed on through the DNA. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, we are carrying stories that may not be our stories. So we may have reactions to things that aren't our personal reaction but it's reactions that we have which have been passed on to us things that we've learned from the community from our parents from teachers from school from friends from wherever it's things that we have learned and taken on ourselves this, okay. this is interesting because the the journey process is about 20 years old i believe 20 25 years old yeah and and when i remember even when i was growing up that the idea that um, you know, I think it was Lamarck, who was a scientist just before Darwin, whose whose notion was that um, how do giraffes develop stretchy necks? Well, it's because giraffes stretch so much up for leaves, for leaves, and their their children remember that stretching in some sense, and so they're a bit taller. And then that was very much the wrong way where I was raised. And what Darwin demonstrated is the process is different. And just in the past few years, epigenetics has become such a uh, a buzz field in a sense but it really like a lot of the research is just so new and the the extent to which this model of it can just be inside you based off your parents experience actually seems to be um to to have to be supported more and more by the by later findings so i find that really interesting that that this scene in a sense predates that this 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 therapy work that presumes that like that sort of stuff is baked into your cell memory as you call it like that's there's that a lot of there's a lot of massively there's a lot of cellular memory work for example i was um at a, an event a journey event in india now indians are known for talking about not just karma but previous lives mm -hmm. right and i worked with one woman who she saw herself in the 15th century being hanged Oof. and the memory was so real 
she was there. What she was experiencing in this moment that we were talking or going through a process, she was there. And she had made some vows at that time that she would never marry or whatever it was connected to that story. I don't remember the story. But she she was she had that memory so strongly in her body, within her cells, that it was stopping her from... Oh, I'm sorry, that's what it was. She was convinced that she will die by the age of 29. All right, so this dying at the age of 29 belonged to whoever that person was in the 15th century. Right. So she wasn't allowing herself to fall in love and get married and start a family because she was going to die at 29. So by working through this during the journey process, we were able to clear out that memory and give her some other tools, okay? So she has, thank God, passed 29 and she's now in her mid-30s and she's doing great. Mm. Didn't get hanged this time around. And she did not get hanged, no. Fantastic. But it was like, oh, I've just got goosebumps thinking about that again. Yeah. Ooh. Very intense tale. Is, yeah. is that... So you do a couple of different sorts of therapy. So you, you do journey work. I don't call it therapy. You don't okay? call it therapy. I don't call it therapy. What I'm not a like? psychologist. Okay. Um, I have studied psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I do processes. Okay. Okay. So it's very different than being a therapist. What's the difference for you? Um, well, it's not so much even the difference for me, but the difference legally is, <laughs> is that I don't have a piece of paper that says I am right. a therapist. Right. Okay. But if you call it a process, then it's, it's just a, you, that doesn't require a piece of paper. I have the pieces of paper, but not as a therapist. Uh, so the words mean different things? The words the mean context. different things, okay. yeah. The words mean different things, okay? It's also like my understanding of a therapist is that somebody that you go to for many sessions. Sure. Okay? With me, you can come to me for one session, for one process, and something huge can shift for you, and your life will never be the same after one session. That's a big call. And it happens. I didn't say it was wrong. I just said it's a big goal. It is. Um, and people always say to me, well, how many sessions do I have to come for? And I just put it back on them and I say, well, what do you know? And they look at me like, what are you talking about? You know, you're the therapist, which I'm not. Um, you need to tell me how many sessions I need to come for. Mm-hmm. And I say, I have no idea. Because to be honest with you, I have no idea. I don't know what change will, will come for you. I don't know what is there. I don't know what will shift for you. And I also would not presume to tell you how many sessions you need to have. This is interesting because to me this, this answer is, in, in a sense, from, from my very limited experience, it's very emblematic of the process as a whole, which is that it's, a large part of it, it, it seems to me like the old way that we used to, let's say, deal with 
with the human psyche in a really broad sense was a lot more like you look at someone and then you go, oh, well, here's what's wrong with you. And you've got to do this. And then, like, here's, you take these medicines or you do this, this practice, whatever. And it's shifting a lot. Uh, it's taking to, the... It's giving the person back the responsibility for their own lives. That's what it is. Right. Okay? It's giving you the responsibility of your own life. Because we're so used to going to a doctor to say, doctor, what's wrong with me? Doctor, you know, my head hurts. What does that mean? And the doctor will say, oh, well, you've got whatever. So as you just said, take a tablet, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying to you, what do you know? What does your body know? I don't look to me for the answers. Look within. Trust yourself to unravel or, or trust yourself to know what you know what is best for you rather than looking to somebody else for that right all right so it's what do you know so if you when you flip that question on someone about how many sessions mm -hmm. do do any come for that's that's in a sense the first of many flips where they're going to look to you as a sort of authority figure and say, fix me, and you're going to say, well, what's actually coming through for you because yep. you are in control of your own life and therefore you have to be in control of your own, what would you say, discourse on your psyche in some sense. Yes, you could put it like that. Or you, you are the one who has control of your own choices. Like what choices are you willing to make? Okay. Like most of us have been told that um, we don't have choice. We don't have other possibilities. It has to be this way. Sure. Okay? So you grow up, you go to school, you finish school, you go to university, you get a job, you get married, you have children, your children go to school, your children go to university, your children, you know, get a job, get married, have children. I mean, that's how it is. That's sure. the box. That's the box. So I'm saying, for me, there is no box. And people like the box because it gives them, you know, a structure to what their life can be or what their life is. But is that really what you want your life to look like? So how does accessing these things from the past allow you to better understand what sort of life you want in the future? What's the connection? It allows there? you to see what else is possible. How does that work? How does that work? You can free yourself from the constraints of, of the box, okay? Because all of a sudden you see that, oh, I didn't choose this, right? I didn't choose to be overwhelmed. It's something that happened to me. But now I can choose how I react to that. I can choose how I'm going to take the next step. The fact is that I have another step. I don't have to live within the confines of this box. So in a sense, if, if I'm getting this right, it's this part of the uh, power that's inherent in this process of reaccessing memories from when you were young is that when you were, as you said, two, 
perhaps the only thing you could do is react with fear and shut down. Yep. Whereas if you're going through that in some sense, either in memory or in reenactment or whatever, and that's that's happy that's in some sense happening again for you and you get to respond to it rather than react to it. And exactly. you get that to be And I need I can now choose how I respond. Great. Okay. Okay. So like for me the word responsibility. Okay, the word responsibility is having the ability to respond to something. So when I take responsibility for my life, I now have the ability to respond and to choose how I'm going to respond to whatever happens. Fantastic. And if not, if it's not whatever happens to me, I can then take it to an, in another direction to say, well, this doesn't feel right to me right now. What else is possible here? Where else can I take this? So it's not like this doesn't feel right, therefore I'm stuck. It's like, no, I can stop, I can have a look at it and say, okay, what else is possible here? Where else can I go? I don't have to be stuck because somebody told me you're like this, therefore you have to be stuck in that place. Do you follow? I do, I do. Uh, I... That seems like a, a great place to uh, sort of switch tracks. Yeah. You also do, a, again, not a therapy, a process called Access Consciousness The Buzz. Yes. Could you say a bit about what that is? Okay. Access Consciousness is um, a company, I suppose, started by a man called Gary Douglas, who's an American guy. He, he's, he's the mantra of Access Consciousness is empowering people to know what they know. Empowering people to know what they know. So, could you unpack that a bit for us? <laughs> um, well, again, it's knowing, what, what do you know? Like, what do you, it's not always saying, okay, fashion, right? Let's talk about fashion in a very broad sense. Fashion tells us that this year, we're all going to be wearing navy and burgundy and camel. Those are, the colors, those are the colours that are in fashion this year. I don't know if they are or they're not, but whatever. I'm writing them down just in case. Okay. And so then everything in the shops is around these colours. So whatever you... so, But you might say, but hey, I love purple. But purple, you can't find anything in any of the shops that is in the colour purple. Sure. All right. So it's the fashion industry who is dictating to us that this is what we have to wear. This is the style. This is the thing. Now, I went to Beth Rifka Ladies College, which is a lovely Lubavitch school in Melbourne. Now, when I started at school, in the school handbook, our uniform had to be two inches above the knee. Now, anyone who knows anything about Yeshiva College or Beth Rifka or Lubavitch Bichlal now knows that two inches above the knee is unheard of. It has to be, if anything, two inches above the ankle. You know, you're just covered completely. This is because of the religious Jewish practices? Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, modesty, for example, okay? But who's to say what is modest and what isn't modest? So there are other people who are dictating to us all the time what is okay and what isn't okay. So to empower someone to know what they know is to say to them, okay, then you want to have something in purple. Well, what are you going to do about it? What is available to you? What can you do if you want to have a piece of clothing in the colour purple? 
All right, so if you start to think about it, it's like, oh, well, either I can make it myself, I can buy the fabric, I can have somebody make it for me, or I can look on the internet and find, you know, clothing in purple and see what comes up. There are other possibilities. So all of a sudden, all of these doors and windows start to open for you. And that's, that's the power of being empowered to know what you know. To know what you know. To be able to make your own choice. So for someone who doesn't know what they know, they might on some level be aware that in principle they could you know, do something about it, but they'd be blind to the possibility and just go along with the... With what's dominant. available, yeah. Right. Okay. This is what's being offered to me. This is what's on the menu. This is the only thing I can have. You go to a restaurant, okay? Now, you may have a food allergy. So you'll look at the menu and every single item on the menu has this particular food that you're allergic to. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to stay at this restaurant and eat something that you're allergic to. Or you can say, excuse me, I have a food allergy. I can't have X, Y, and Z. What else is possible? Is there a way that you can make me something or just take this particular item off the menu or out of that that salad? I can't have tomatoes. Can you please not give me a, a salad with tomatoes in it? Right, so it's giving you the power to be able to open up and ask for, for something else, for another possibility. So how does, how does access consciousness, the bars? Okay, the bars is a process which touches on 32 points on your head. Okay. All right, now each of these points is related to another aspect of life, of your life. For example, control, money, sexuality, sadness, joy, uh, peace and calm, gratitude, healing. That's just a few of them, all right? So we all have these points of view on what these things are and how they affect us. Now, having your bars run, that's what we call it, um, brings up all of these considerations and beliefs that you might have in any area of your life. And it helps you clear them, okay? Um, it's like, you know when your computer starts to run a little bit slow? If you just delete a whole lot of files that you're not using anymore, the computer starts to run faster. Right. Okay? So this is basically having your bars run, that's what that does to your brain. Clears the cache of your mind. Exactly. Okay. All right, which allows then a lot more space, a sense of space and a sense of more possibility. So is it, this takes place in the form of a, a physical massage? It's not a massage. It's, it's gently touching on these points. So I also teach this um, process. And it's a one-day class, eight hours, um, where you learn where the points are. Within the time frame of the class, you gift and you receive twice. So you're essentially having, because each time you give a process to someone, you're receiving as well. So the other part of access consciousness and the bars is you're learning to receive. Because in life, we're always taught that we have to give, right? We have to put out, but we're never taught how to receive things, how to ask and how to receive. So in the bars process, there's no music being played. It's just, it's your time. So if you want to talk during the process, you can. If not, then the practitioner is silent. Okay. And you're just receiving whatever you receive at that time. Okay. So let's see if I get this. 
I, I come in and you, you lightly touch areas of my head which trigger certain memories in me or just clears out certain memories? What happens next? Um, well, you get out of it what you get out of it. Okay? okay. Most people are for a process. Right? Worst case scenario, you feel like you've had a great massage. Okay. Okay? Best case scenario, your life can change. Okay. Okay? I, I gotta say, I'm, I, this doesn't make as much sense to me as, as, the, journey, as work. journey work did. This is, it's an, it's, we're working on the electromagnetic forces that we have in our bodies. Okay? okay. And in our brain. So it's, it's energy work. It's energy work together with electromagnetic clearing. All right? Um, there's a man called Dr. Fallon, 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 who has done a study on the bars and what it does. What happens when you have your bars run is it puts you into, um, if I'm not mistaken, the theta state, which is like where you get to if you're in deep meditation. Wow. Yeah. Through just lightly touching the head. Much lightly touching the head. How, and he how has much done, do you need to do before you, before a difference is really felt? Um, well, that depends on how much you're willing to receive. Okay. Okay. What what's the what's what's a quick one feel like? No. How? Okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. Some people you'll okay. One guy, for example, I ran his bars for him, and he said to me, oh, "I felt nothing. Did nothing for me." I'm like, "Great." A few days later, I happened to speak to him, and he said to me, well, um, I've got back with my girlfriend. We're about to leave to go on holidays. Um, my, I've sold my apartment and, I don't know, something else. Now, all of these things have been areas that he was stuck in his life. He'd been fighting horrendously with his girlfriend. Um, they'd split up, actually. And all of a sudden, these things are flowing in his life again. Right, But, of course, it was nothing to do with the process that we had done, that I had done with him, the bars. Nothing to do with that. Right. Okay? So there was like nothing he was... All of a sudden, magically, his life is in flow again. Would you be willing to show me what that's like? Sure. Sure. If you're wearing a watch, please remove it. Not wearing a watch. Okay. Um, because this work has been known to either stop watches or have them start running backwards. And I, myself, <laughs> the clock on the wall at my house, just about a year and a half ago, started running backwards. It was running perfectly normal on Friday. Shabbat morning I got up, Saturday morning I got up, and the clock was running backwards. Wow. Yes. And then a year later, almost to the day, the clock started running forwards again. How bizarre. Yeah. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Can I talk while this is happening? Sure. I'm just doing, for now, what's called an energy pull. So just breathe, relax. So right now you've got the palm of your left hand on the back of my head and just pressing some fingers into my forehead very lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's my tummy. Yeah, I'm touching on I'm touching your third eye. And I'm just asking the energy to run through your body.
feel anything? It's it's surprisingly pleasant. Hmm. Do you feel it was sort of swaying here? Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a sense of relaxation in the actual in the head and then it sort of seems to drift through the rest of the body as well. Hmm. Interesting, hey? Now I'm you know, the swaying that there is some swaying going on here. It's almost like a pendulum. Right now, you're moving your hands slowly back and forth. I'm not, actually. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just standing actually totally still. And your body is starting to move to the, with the energy. Do you feel that? Like your body is swaying. I wish we could take a photo of this. It's great. <laughs> so my, my body's just slowly swaying right and left. Yep. And that's... That's just something that starts happening. Well, it's happening with you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <sighs> okay. So give me your hands, please. Lift your middle finger. Okay, we're making like a circuit here. Okay. So your middle finger is going to the middle of my hand. Okay. And once again, we're just asking the energy to run. Should I be facing forward or facing to the side? You can do whatever you want. Okay. So now you've got your hand above my hand and just our middle fingers pressing to each other's palms. Mm -hmm. And that's on both hands. And that creates a circuit between us. Again, it's just, it's an energetic pull. So I'm just asking energy to run in your body. It's releasing, it's making sure that, not making sure, it's allowing the energy to run so it's opening you up so that you will be open to receive. Nice. Okay. Just let your hands relax. I'm now just working on the what's called the implant band. So this just allows any um, any of your considerations or thoughts or beliefs just to come up to the surface. I'm not doing anything to them. This is where all of the, uh, everything that you've ever picked up from anybody else. Oh, his head's falling backwards. <laughs> My head did indeed just fall backwards. It really does seem to, um, just having your fingers on my head seems to alter my proprioception. It's, it's much, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's harder to, to figure out which way is up and and how, like how to balance, but it sort of seems like my body has decided that's not a very important task. Yep. That's very strange. Mm. There you go. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, I feel like a new man. <laughs> a new name. <laughs> Thanks.
So, okay, I now have a bit of experience with this, uh, this, the bars, as you say. So you do this sort of work, you do the journey. Why? What do you see happening from this? I change people's lives. You change people's lives? Yep. Yep, I change people's lives. Um, <laughs> sounds like a, a boast or something. It's not. Using these tools, I'm talking about the tools of access consciousness, together with the journey, together with Reiki, together with everything that I've learnt, like all of the different modalities that I've come across, they've all um, allowed me to open up more and to then allow others to see what else they can be. For example, I was working with a guy recently who... Um, he always felt that he has been living his life for other people. He's never done anything that he has actually wanted to do. Now, this all came to a massive head the week that school was going back. So the week of the 1st of September. For the first time in his life, he was going in as a teacher in front of a class. And he had been studying, he'd got his first degree, and they told him it would be good for him if he had a teaching degree. So he went and he added however long, and he got a teaching degree because he was told that this will add something to him, it will contribute to him. So here he is a few days before school is about to start. He's a man in his 40s, all right, so it's not, he's not a young guy, he's in his 40s, he's already lived and done and whatever, and it wasn't fear that was coming up for him, but it was he was fighting in his own body because he knew this wasn't where he wanted to be. But he had no way of expressing that or no way of being able to verbalise it. So we did this process and he was taken back to when he was six years old, when it was his first day of school. And he was there and he'd been, I don't know if he'd been a wild child, but he's very curious. So he always wanted to, he was out running and exploring and discovering and, and you know, living his life. Mm -hmm. And here at the age of six, he was put into a classroom and he's like, what am I doing here? Who was it that said... Um, Oh, who was it? I heard this the other day. I don't let school get in the, get way, in the way of, of education. education. Yeah, yeah. So here, school got in the way of his education. So all of a sudden, he disassociated himself. Mm. Okay, so his physical body went through all of the motions of going to school and doing and learning and becoming who he became, but yet himself, his soul... Was, was somewhere else. Right. Okay? So we had this process, and this process ended up with him acknowledging to himself that he does not want to be a teacher. He doesn't want to be in front of a classroom of kids. It didn't matter what age they were. They were actually high school kids. But he himself 
for him to go into a classroom made him um, mitkavetz. Uh, made him, what's the word? Oh. Disentangled. Come undone. No, Crushed. it actually, it tied him up in knots. Tied him up in knots. Completely. He did not want to be there, but he'd never been able to say, this isn't good for me, I don't want to do this. Right. All right? Now, apparently, his process, we worked together for over two hours. He said to me later on, his process continued up until 10 o'clock at night. So his process continued for another 10 hours after we'd finished. And he spoke to the principal of the school, and he said to her, I can't do this. And she had the presence to understand that he wasn't talking to her from an ego point of view. He wasn't talking to her saying, I want to be working closer to home, I want more pay, I want better conditions. It was coming from a place of his soul being ripped apart, ripped out of him. And she said to him, we will manage, you do what you have to do. Which was the biggest gift that this principal could have given him. All right? So he told me that he went back, he was working where he went back to his other job. He's continued to go into his, um, he's doing a second degree now. Um, so he's gone back, his family life is great. And he said, it's as if it's all the same, study, family, work, but I'm completely different. Because yeah. he is now connected. He can now, his body and his soul are now one. So he's now able to listen to what his body is telling him and he's able to make choices from that place rather than being told what to do. What could the world look like if everyone had or if more people had this sort of had this sort of work with on themselves with themselves? Had this awareness? Yeah. The world would be totally different. The world would be totally different. People, I don't think you'd, there wouldn't be violence. There wouldn't be acting out. Um, because people wouldn't feel that they were boxed into something. They, had, they would have a choice of what they wanted to do rather than what they have to do. And even if you have to do something... You then have a choice. Again, it's going back to the responsibility. You've got the choice of responding how you want to respond to something that you have to do. You have that ability to choose. What is your vision of a better Jerusalem? That's a very big question. My vision of a better Jerusalem... There'd be a lot more harmony. There'd be less judgment. It would be a place of live and let live. And in a lot of ways, it's also letting go of the story that keeps propelling people. Because if you're able to let go of the story, you're, you're not, again, you're not judging, you're not blaming, you're not a victim, because there's a lot of victim energy. 
And you actually don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You can be you. You can just be. Imagine that. Viva Belfa, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. It's been lovely having you here today. Thank you. Thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.